turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This is the greatest revival in the sense of evangelism in the history of the world. An entire Gentile culture, a pagan city. And it is estimated, by the way, that this population of the city of Nineveh was probably around 600,000 people. So we're not talking about a small village. We're talking about a city of considerable size. Here on Verse by Verse, we're back in the book of Jonah again today. Jonah might have been thinking that it was a waste of time to go to Nineveh. They were so evil that nothing he could say would change their hardened hearts. Today, Pastor Steve is talking about an amazing transformation that takes place in the most wicked place on earth at that time. We need to believe that God is a powerful God who has given us a powerful message. It isn't about our ability as much as it is about our availability. If we will be available, God will take care of the rest. Listen as we study Jonah chapter 3 with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel today on Verse by Verse. Let's open to Jonah chapter 3. Many people believe that the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah is found in chapter 2 concerning the fish that swallowed the prophet, but really the greatest miracle is found in chapter 3. Chapter 3 because it tells us that there was an entire population of savage pagans who repented in response to the preaching of Jonah. And just just an amazing thing to consider, that these people who were so heartless and so cruel and so brutal actually repented at the preaching of Jonah and came to faith in the Lord God of Israel. Now, as you'll recall, chapter 2 ends by telling us that the, the fish vomited Jonah out on dry land. Verse 10 says, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land, which as I said yesterday, probably means that the the fish beached itself and then died. But because of God's mercy and compassion to Jonah, he continued to live. And so after being spit up on the beach, probably somewhere in the vicinity of Joppa, uh, there is no beach where Nineveh is, so he didn't He had to travel there, but it's probably back where he started. So it's probably around Joppa. Jonah now crawls up on dry land. And while, as one writer puts it, he's still wiping fish vomit out of his eyes, the Lord speaks to him a second time. And that's how chapter 3 opens. Verses 1 through 3 say this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city 
one day's walk, and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So we read up to verse 4. Once again, we see that God commissions Jonah to go to Nineveh, and once again, the commission is, as as it was at the beginning, preached to that city. And unlike the first time that God told Jonah to do this, the prophet now obeys. Now, Let's stop here for a moment and consider this very significant truth, which is easy to to really overlook. What this indicates in God commissioning Jonah to do this the second time is that our God is a God of second chances. This is a second chance for Jonah. In other words, God did not disqualify Jonah because of his disobedience. Had we been in charge of Jonah, it might have been a little different. I think I would have probably said, Jonah, you know what? I'm sick of you. I've had enough of your disobedience. I'm I'm glad that you've repented, but you know what? Go home. I'll get somebody else. We really don't need you. There are a lot of prophets in Israel we could call them, but you know what? God didn't do that, and God didn't do that for the very basic reason that what this book stresses is that he is compassionate and gracious, and he is so willing to restore us to usefulness. This is a very, very encouraging principle. It's a good thing for us that God is the God of second chances because all of us need second and third and fourth and, and on and on it goes chances because we have sinned against God. And if the Lord disqualified us from usefulness the first time we, we were angry at him or we sinned against him, then none of us would ever be used of the Lord. James Boyce wrote this about God's mercy in using sinners like us. He wrote, have we never disobeyed God? Of course we have. Have we never taken matters into our own hands and formulated our own plans? Yes, we've done that too. And we've even denied our Lord on occasions when we should have spoken for him. We've run away from him, and some of us, like Jonah, have run very far away indeed. Does God cast us off? Does he disown us? No, he disciplines us, it's true. But having done that and having brought us to the place of repentance and surrender, he returns the second time to recommission us to service. Moreover, he comes a third and a fourth and a hundredth and a thousandth time if necessary as it is so often. None of us would be where we are in our Christian lives now if God had not dealt thus with us. Oh, the greatness of the unmerited grace of our God. We deserve nothing, yet we receive everything, even when we foolishly turn from him. Folks, our our God is a merciful God, and it's a wonderful thing to remind us at a global outreach conference that no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how much you've blown in your past, God can still use you And he uses us to serve him, to witness for him, regardless of past disobedience, regardless of the fact that that you didn't speak to somebody when you should have about him. So don't let your past rebellion, and especially your anger at God, keep you from serving him now. God used a repentant Jonah, and not just used him, he used him in an incredible way. And we we find out how greatly Jonah was used as we read verses 4 through nine. Then Jonah began to walk through the city one day's walk. When it says three days walk, it doesn't mean it took him three days to go from, from Joppa to Nineveh. It means as he went around the city, it would have taken three days. So now he, he's starting on his journey. He began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, 
in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way. And we know those wicked ways were very wicked. And from the violence which is in his hands, and we know those ways were very violent. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, as I said before, this is the greatest miracle recorded in the entire book of Jonah. This is the greatest revival in the sense of evangelism in the history of the world, an entire Gentile culture, a pagan city. And it is estimated, by the way, that that this population of the city of Nineveh was probably around 600,000 people. So we're not talking about a small village. We're talking about a city of considerable size. And they were noted for their intense wickedness, their brutality, their cruelty. They repented at the preaching of one stubborn and prejudiced Jewish prophet who would rather see them personally, rather see them destroyed than to be saved. And they repented at the preaching, we're told, of Jonah. Now, what can we say about this incident, especially in relation to reaching the unreached of the world? We obviously don't have time in the brief time of our studies to go into a whole lot of depth on this, but I think this is very important that we pull out this principle. It is important to note that the Ninevites really did repent. They're not playing repentance. This is not superstitious show of repentance in order to try to avoid God's judgment. This is exactly what the scripture says. That doesn't give us all the details, doesn't give us any of the the fill-ins here, but they repented. And notice this, how do we know this was real repentance? Well, first of all, verse 5 says they believed in God. Didn't say they said they believed in God. The scriptures, the inspired scriptures say they believed in God. That's true, that's accurate, that's right. And in verses 7 and 8, we read that the king himself issued a proclamation for the people to call on God, and he said, I want you to turn from your wicked ways and from your violence. And verse 10 says that they turned from their wicked ways. We didn't read verse 10, but it says when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked ways. Now, in addition to what we're told in Jonah chapter 3, remember, as we said the other day, that Jesus affirmed in Matthew chapter 12 that the people, he said, the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And he said, a greater than Jonah is here, meaning himself. But even Jesus said that the men of Nineveh repented, true repentance at the preaching of Jonah. Now, the fact that the Ninevites repented at Jonah's preaching ought to be a tremendous encouragement to every one of us in the work of reaching the unreached for Christ, because it tells us that there is no culture, no people group, and no individual who is beyond God's power to reach with the gospel. This is a, I mean, this fits in so well with the theme this week. If God can sovereignly work in the death of a brutal people, like the people of Nineveh, then we should never doubt that God can transform the most hardened sinner and the most hardened people group. This is a source of great encouragement for us. It tells us to keep plugging away. It tells us to keep preaching the word. It tells us to do everything we can within our power to make sure the gospel goes to all the unreached people groups. And the example of the Ninevites' repentance is a very important reminder to us that world evangelization is in the hands of our sovereign God our sovereign and gracious God. You see, in spite of Jonah's failure to obey God the first time, 
He called them to go to Nineveh. God did not change his mind. God did purpose to save these people, and he did save them. And he didn't allow the whim of Jonah and his rebellion to end in in failure. God purposed to save them from all of eternity past, and he did save these people. Even if he had, and this is amazing, even though he, he, in his providence and in his plan and in his miraculous doings, God changed the course of nature with the storm on the Mediterranean. God changed things by creating a one-of-a-kind fish to swallow Jonah in order to get a reluctant prophet to obey him, because God is determined that what he has decreed will come to pass. I'd like you to look at Isaiah chapter 46. It's a great verse to remember that the eternal decrees of God will stand. God is truly sovereign, and we don't know how his sovereignty in our minds can be reconciled with human responsibility, but we don't have to reconcile it those two doctrines, and we don't have to understand how they work together. The scripture says that God is completely sovereign. Isaiah 46, beginning at verse 9, right at the end of verse 9, God says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God says that what he has decreed will be accomplished. And it was his decree that these people are saved. And you know what? Jonah's disobedience isn't going to stand in the way of it. There's nothing that we can do to stand in the way of God's sovereign decree. Those individuals that God has purposed to save, he will save. And there's nothing that can change that. But the wonderful thing about this and about God's sovereign purposes in saving the elect is that He's chosen us to use as his instruments. He never bypasses the human instrument, even if he has to work deeply in our hearts to get us to be the human instrument, as he did with with Jonah. Now, notice in verse 5, as we go back to Jonah 3, notice in verse 5 that we read this, then the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, think about that. What a wonderful statement that is. That, That ought to be cherished. And let me tell you why this is cherished, because it reminds us that the power to change lives lies in the power of the Word of God. They believe God. It doesn't say they believed in Jonah's creative messages. They believed God. They didn't believe Jonah as much. They believed God. They believed in the Word of God, not the messenger, nor were his methods that important in reaching people. Jonah merely preached the Word of God to them, and they repented. And I think that this is just another affirmation to us of the power of the Word of God. There was nothing fancy about Jonah. He probably looked hideous. He probably was, uh, uh, his face was probably bleached from acid stained being in, the, in that fish. He probably did not appear very attractive. He just gave a straightforward message. And that's what the rest of scripture tells us to do. Romans ten seventeen, I remind you, says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter one, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power, folks, is in the Word. We don't have to be creative in how we get it out. We don't have to uh, spruce it up. We don't have to make it, try to water it down to try to make it be more palatable to people. We just give the straightforward Word. In fact, I'd like you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It would appear that Paul in his ministry had pressure put upon him. 
to accommodate God's word with Greek philosophy. And there were probably some who were saying, you know, Paul, if you really want an audience in this generation, you can't just give the Bible. You've got to throw in a little bit of Greek philosophy. You've got to relate to the people, Paul. You've got to be up to date. You've got to be modern. Look what Paul said in response to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Beginning of verse 1, he said, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. What he means is I didn't take the wisdom of the world and mix it and, and try to be more appealing to you. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I, I will not bring in anything else and water down the truth. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. He means he did not give man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And what would demonstrate the Spirit and power? It's the straightforward preaching of the Word. And he says, this is why he did it in verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. He didn't want them to have confidence in what men said but on the power of God. And the power of God is found in the gospel, the straightforward message of the gospel. And so I urge you, as we consider evangelism, we consider getting the, the, the message out to people, let's just give the straightforward message. We don't dilute it. We don't try to make it more attractive. We give the straightforward message. We don't have to be seeker sensitive. We don't have to try to do any of that but just give the straightforward message of the word. Now, there's one more truth that we need to address tonight, and it's one that has posed serious problems for some Bible students. And I think we'd be remiss if we studied Jonah chapter 3 and didn't address it. And that is the, the fact that, in, that, that God, in response to the preaching of the people of Nineveh, decided not to judge them. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3 said, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented, some versions say repented, concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, this one statement has caused problems, theological problems for some people. And the problem is that this verse raises a question in the minds of people saying, how can God repent? How can God relent? How can God change his mind about anything? At first glance, this verse appears to be teaching that God sent Jonah to announce that he would destroy and judge Nineveh in 40 days, but because they repented, then God changed his mind and decided to be merciful to them instead. Yet, Scripture plainly and very clearly states that God does not repent and God does not change his mind. For example, Numbers 23:19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should repent? Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? God clearly says that he does not vacillate. He does not change his mind. In fact, this is one of the great doctrines of the faith. It is known as immutability, which means that God in his character and makeup and nature does not change. In fact, he said in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't have various methods, but it means in character, he does not change. When he purposes to do something, he does it. James 1.17 says, there is no variation or shifting shadow. That means the same thing. God doesn't turn here and there like the shadows. So whatever he determines to do, he does. 
So then how do we deal with this, what, what looks like a contradiction, but it is not a contradiction? Well, first of all, we need to understand that when God first commissioned Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh, the threat of judgment was intended by God to be understood as being conditional. That, that is a given. That's a given because God's threats of judgment throughout Scripture are always conditional. In other words, there is just an unspoken understanding that when God's when God warns of impending judgment, it is always understood that he will withhold judgment and show mercy if there's repentance. He did that with Sodom and Gomorrah. If there are so many righteous people, then I will not repent. It's just a, a, an unspoken, understood fact. In fact, that's exactly, and this is my point, that's exactly how Jonah understood God's message of judgment, even though it's not spelled out word for word in this book. And and that's exactly how Jonah understood it. Let me say this. This is the very reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. In fact, if God's judgment on Nineveh was unconditional, if Jonah thought for sure if he went and preached they would be destroyed, why would Jonah ever be reluctant? He wanted them destroyed. The very fact that he headed out in the opposite direction proves this point that Jonah understood. It's just an understood fact that whenever God says he's going to judge, that it's understood that if the people repent, he withholds judgment. Otherwise, Jonah would have enthusiastically volunteered for this job. So, having said that, we're still left with the question, why does Jonah 3.10 say that God relented or repented? And the answer has to lie in the fact that God is using language here to express something in human terms so that we can understand him. This is an accommodation to language and its limitations. One Bible teacher explained this type of figure of speech by stating that this is an expression that assigns human emotions or human feelings or human thoughts to God. He writes, scripture uses this sort of language because God cannot be adequately explained by any other means. He is beyond our understanding and human language is not adequate to describe him. Therefore, scripture sometimes adapts human expressions like this to give us insight into the mind and heart of God that cannot be conveyed in any other terms. So listen, in in spite of the challenge of understanding the concept of God relenting and and not judging Nineveh, we, we really can't miss the main truth of Jonah 3. And it says, God's plan all along was to show mercy to these people. He decreed it, He knew what they would do. He worked in their hearts. He had it all figured out. He knew that Jonah would go. He did this. God is is orchestrating all this. So it wasn't that he's at the whim and said, oh, I didn't know they would repent. So I think that I'll withhold my judgment. We we dismiss all that. But don't miss the main point of this chapter. If God was merciful to a violent, brutal, and cruel people like the Ninevites, then there is no nation, no people group, no culture, no individual who is beyond hope of the gospel. I think that is the primary message here. But like Jonah, it is our responsibility to preach the message of repentance to them. In God's mercy and compassion, he uses us as instruments of, of grace. Because as Paul asked in Romans chapter 10, how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach unless they're sent? And folks, by virtue of the Great Commission, we've all been sent. God uses Jonah in an incredible way to bring about one of the greatest spiritual revivals the world has ever witnessed. God wants to use us in our world much like he used Jonah. He can use our messed up lives, wavering faith, and our hesitant speech, just like he did with Jonah. But we've got to be in Nineveh for God to use us. Wouldn't it be great if people started repenting of their sin and turning to God right here and right now where we live? Thanks for tuning in to Verse by Verse today. We really appreciate all of you who faithfully listen to our broadcasts. Why not let us know you appreciate the messages by dropping us a note, giving us a call at 727-239-0306, or by visiting our website, versebyverseradio.org. You'll find lots of resources on our website, including previous broadcasts that you can download. You can even give a financial gift on our website, or you can give by telephone as well. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported radio ministry, so we depend on you, our listeners, to help us cover the costs involved in producing and airing these radio Bible classes. We're very grateful to each of you who give to support this ministry. For Pastor Steve and the rest of the staff here, I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us on our next broadcast here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between.